sitting in the house of the Lord and you just have crazy thoughts sometimes? I had some crazy thoughts this morning. And uh, those crazy thoughts have to do with, can you imagine churches across the nation that people attend but have no intimate relationship with Jesus? And then he calls us home. It's going to look like this where there'll be empty seats everywhere and people are going to go, where did they go? We know where people are today. How many have had COVID so far? The rest of you, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Joyce and I and Jason and our daughter Kim, the whole family got COVID over the Christmas holidays. And so we, we, did you tell that? No. So we did nothing but Zoom. We watched the kids open their gifts by Zoom. We watched Jason and Kim by Zoom. And uh, I just know that it is a time of transition. So I'm going to share some things from what Jason has put together. But I want to tuck in a couple of thoughts. Joanne, it's your birthday. We celebrate you. And um, you're a little bit younger than me, and that's good. But when you look up here and you see this old guy, I want you to recognize that I was born two years before Israel became a nation. And so the generation that you and I are a privilege to be part of has seen an awful lot taking place. I remember when Life Center began and we were doing the Bible school and I would do all the overheads on, what was it called, like a cellophane almost? Yeah, and I would color them myself. And we'd put them up on the screen and we thought we were so futuristic and we were doing all these amazing things. Uh, We had libraries full of books because... You didn't have Google. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have access to things like we do now. And all around the world, what's beautiful is that almost every book of, of history and the archives of the world are being put on microfiche so that you and I can have access to them. In other words, there's an explosion of knowledge going on. And Daniel talked about that, that in the last days, there would be an amazing explosion of knowledge. And so with that, I want you to understand that prophecy in the Bible is future to us, but it's history to him. God has already seen it unfold. That's why this is called the closed canon of Scripture. You can't add to it can't take away from it. It is exactly what God intended so that his message could be available to humanity to be aware of what he's doing in the world. Now, for you and I, travel's been restricted. We've been in our homes. We've been asking ourselves, Lord, when is this going to come to an end? And we feel sometimes that we're antsy and we want to get out and do things, and God just says, rest. While you rest, I'm working. Nothing has stopped. Everything's moving the way it should. Uh, Pestilences are talked about in Matthew 24. 
when Jesus gives us an indicator of what's taking place at the end of time. And so we're going to talk a little bit today in preparation for prayer and fasting. We're going to talk about transition and what transition really, really means. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to go there and I want you to open your Bibles there. Uh, we'll get to the message in just a second. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, it talks about the Lord's coming. Now remember, prophecy is future for us. It's history for him. This is already in the purposes of God set in motion. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 4, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who were asleep, meaning those who are already in the grave, <clears throat> that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So there's a divine order to all that God is doing. And when we talk about prayer and fasting, it's transitions that we go through in our lives where we break patterns that we're living in. And we do them for a purpose. We do it to say, Lord, we want to be alert and aware of what is going on all around us every single day. And we want to see your hand at work. And, you know, when we sing songs about signs and wonders and about the goodness of God, when we hear prophetic words, all of that says God is at work amongst us. And if you believe in your heart that he wants to work in your heart, he will. But if you don't believe that he wants to work in your heart, he won't. Why? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And what faith says to you and to me is, Lord, give me eyes to see what you're doing in my day. Remember in Revelation, those opening chapters talking about the churches of Revelation, and Jesus kept saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. Well, all of us have ears. I want to show you something. Let's all stand up for a second. Why don't you shake off your right arm? Just kind of shake it a bit. Now shake your left arm. Now do it again on the other side. Just kind of get it going. Now flex it a little bit. Flex it a little bit. Now why don't you take your right hand and put it on your chin. Where did I say to put it? To put it on your is this my chin? This is not my chin. He who has an ear, let him hear. You may be seated. <clears throat> Do you see how easy it is to follow um, an example or a model of what someone is doing and miss what they're saying? So when you open God's word, you want to say, Lord... I don't want to put my hand on my cheek when it, you're telling me to put it on my chin. I want to be alert to what you're doing. And fasting brings an alertness to us that nothing else does. We're not trying, and you'll see it as we go through the talk today. We're not trying to bend God's arm or anything. We're just trying to say, Lord, I think I need some spiritual wax removed from my ears. 
I need some salve for my eyes so that I can see clearly. And I want my heart to be your heart for the generation that I'm a part of. And that's why I said, when I was born in 46, Israel didn't exist. So all the prophecies that were in the word of God concerning the return of the Jews to the land were a mystery to the generations before. But they're not a mystery to us now because it's reality now. We see it, but we also see that uh, a lot of things are taking place in our day that Jesus just wants you to be aware of. So let me finish 1 Thessalonians 4. For we declare to you by the word of the Lord that we who were alive and who were left until the coming of the Lord will not go ahead of those who were asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will what? They will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I want you just to keep that thought in your mind. We are going to meet the Lord in the air. That is a supernatural event. And what culture struggles with is the supernatural because it goes past their reasoning, past their thinking, and past natural law. But God created all of that, and he can supersede that, and that's why everything you see in the Bible that's supernatural warms your heart. When you see it, you go, that's my God. And we live in a day right now where Israel has become a nation. It's the fig tree. It's blossoming. All Israel will eventually be saved, but most of them right now are not saved. And they're opposed to the gospel. But God is not opposed to them. He just keeps working. Aren't you glad that he never gave up on you until you bowed your knee? I mean, I was getting older when he spoke to my heart. And I think of all the stuff that I'd gone through, and I say, thank you, Lord, for your patience. Thank you for your persistence. Thank you for your steadfastness. And when he does that on a personal basis, he does it with nations, and he does it with our world. He's patient that none would perish. So the mission of the church is the lost. That's the mission. And so when you and I realize that Israel has become a nation, on the news you are seeing Ezekiel 38 and 39 setting up because you've got Syria and you've got Russia and you've got Turkey and you've got Iran and you've got Lebanon. You've got nations surrounding Israel now that not only hate Israel but want to see it wiped off the face of the earth. Man has something in his heart that resists what it is that God is doing because we think we know better, but we don't. But we also have to realize there's a spiritual war going on. And if we don't recognize that, then our whole world is just natural. So when I look at the news and I see things like this and I say, Lord, 
Prophecy is future, but to you, it's history. You've put it in there because that's what's coming. Can we change it? Nope. He knows what's in men's hearts. He knows the decisions they'll make. And all the transitions he's asking them to do in their lives, they're saying no thanks. So the consequence of those decisions are what ends up with war. We fight one another because we don't get what we want. So all these enemies are there. But have you noticed on the news lately, from the east coast of Canada to the west coast of Canada to the north to the border with America, we have environmental hiccups. Think of the people that lived in British Columbia this summer with the heat wave. They didn't realize with the heat wave, the ground was drying up to the point where it, as soon as the rain starts to come, it can't absorb. And you have massive, massive floods. And then you have insane fires that destroy whole cities at a time. And then you look on the global scene. Did you know in Germany, when the floods happen in Germany, they don't even have a word for what happened in the German language? When you listen to the news, you hear things like a biblical proportion. That's apocalyptic. They're using terminology that they, they know there are stories in the Bible about floods and about earthquakes and about that, but they can't see the hand of God at work in the earth. Because Jesus pointed out all of these things prophetically are simply history. They're going to unfold exactly as they should. So you and I as the church, we can sit in our homes and go, Lord, what a, what a joy for us to pray for all the people involved in all of these things that, yes, there will be social things given to them to rebuild their lives, but they'll come to the realization I watched one lady on the news, and she said, my house burnt so fast I had less than a minute to get out. And she said, everything to do with my life was in that house. I've lost every certificate, every pe uh, picture, everything of my history, my family's. I've lost everything in a second. What do you think happens to people when those kinds of destructions come? They kind of step back and say, there's got to be more to life than just this. How does this get redeemed? And that's where you and I come in. That's where we come in. And so we also see that there's incredible lawlessness in our world. And uh, China has just released robotic soldiers and robotic tanks, all with artificial intelligence. In other words, the software that's put into it, off it goes and does what it's being told to do. It doesn't think like a human being because it's not human. And when you think of some of the things that John talks about in the book of Revelation, it seems bizarre. But now we're starting to see all of that's a possibility. Even America threatened Russia with sanctions, and Russia pushed back and said, we're going to deal with that from space now. Our world is in a very precarious place, but the church isn't. We're the light in the midst of the darkness. 
We're the salt in the midst of the meal. We're the answer to the problem that faces our world. And if anything, with COVID, God has given us a divine reset where we can step back and say, Lord, while we rest, you're working. You're causing us, like Rachel said a moment ago, we're learning to abide. And because of that, it's not about our works. It's about what he's doing. So we just say, Lord, we want to be part of the solution. And we want to be available to people, wherever they are, just to brag on Jesus. And he is going to speak to their hearts. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. We sometimes think that's too simple. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so we come to that place where we say, Lord, yes, we're going to do that. One last thing I've been telling Joyce on the way up, I've been doing a lot of work in apologetics, particularly with Islam and what's happening around the world, how uh, Islamic apologists are coming against Christians who are sharing their faith. And uh, what's really amazing is if you are not in relationship with Jesus and you don't have the spirit of truth inside of you, you can't be apologetic in terms of understanding where the Bible and where the Quran are different. You can't. I've listened to them throw out some stuff, and I just think, what have you been smoking? Holy moly, how do you connect the dots with those two? And you and I open the Word of God, and we have eyes to see. We have hearts that are sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of truth is in your life. And because of that, you can discern as soon as you hear something. Let me give you an example. Right now, Christianity is about 31% of the world population. Do you know where Islam is right now? 29%. If you open the book of Galatians and you just go down chapter 1, and all it says is, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let them be accursed. Why does he say that? Because salvation is found in no one else. Salvation is in no other name than the name of Jesus. And so every human being is going to go through a transition they're going to have to deal with things in their hearts and lives. And it has been said that over 100,000 young people every single year are leaving Islam because they're starting to ask questions and there are no answers for the cry of their heart. But the moment they meet Jesus Christ, the peace of God comes in and everything they've been looking for suddenly becomes a revelation to their heart. They may not fully understand everything they've done, but he's in them now. And when he came into your life or he came into my life, everything changed. Sky was bluer, grass was greener, and you started to love people where you couldn't have loved them before. And so in all of these transitions we're going to talk about today, there are moments where God does some of his most vital work. For example, you remember when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt and God's 
purpose was for them to be out of Egypt and to go to the promised land, what does he do? He opens the sea in front of them, and they pass through on dry ground. God parted the sea. They didn't part it. God did. But they had to be obedient enough to say, we'll go where you're leading us. And as they started to go, God started to work and do what he needed to do. When they went into the wilderness, the lesson, what's the lesson of the wandering in the wilderness? Well, they grumbled, complained, and disobeyed for 40 years. How's that for a testimony? Yes, Lord, I'll serve you in the next 40 years, and I'll grumble, and I'll complain, and I'll just be, I'll disobey. You'd be like, no, nah, that's not going to work. Time and again, they experience temptation. They choose their own way rather than God's way. Why? Because they can't make the transition. Transition is by faith. Transition is it moves us out of our comfort into the purpose and the plan that God has. And say the same thing when people go from studying the life of Jesus, when he goes from private ministry to public. Remember, 30-some years in Joseph and Mary's home, faithful to honor his mom and dad, faithful to be a carpenter, faithful to work, and then there's a moment that comes where he knows his time to transition takes place. And he goes through the waters of baptism as God parts the sky and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Demonstration of the voice of the father, the presence of the dove, and the work of the person of Jesus Christ in the water. He enters the wilderness, same as the children of Israel did when they came out of Egypt. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and guess what he does? He doesn't grumble. He doesn't complain. He doesn't disobey, but he takes time to fast and to pray. What's he doing? He's saying, Father, prepare me for whatever the task is that you have ahead of me. Prepare me for that. Time and again, he experiences temptation, and what does he do? He makes a choice to honor his father, and he stands firm in the midst of the temptation. And who brings the temptations? Often it comes from the enemy of his soul, just like it does in your life. The devil's purpose is to tempt us to move away from our walk with God. And sometimes he's successful in doing that. But in the ministry and in the life of Jesus, he was not successful because Jesus used the written word to put him in his place. When the temptation came, he says, it is written. When Joyce talked about the value of the word of God, you have to know that it is super spinach in Popeye's life. But you can't have that strength without the spinach going in. It's got to go in. So Matthew 4 says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Very specific task. Son, I'm going to lead you into the wilderness. You're going to be tempted by the devil. He's doing for us what we can't do for ourselves meaning that he's going to be successful and we're going to stumble along. How many have ever been tempted? Someone once said to me, what was it like before you were a Christian? I said, well, 
Whenever temptation came, I just yielded to it. Now that I'm a follower of Jesus, it's a whole different story. So it said, after Jesus had fasted 40 days and nights, he was hungry. <laughs> we're going to start our fast. We're going to be hungry right away. Right? So in life, there are in-between moments where God does some of his most important work in us. God will bring to closure one stage of your walk, and he'll open the door to a new season. 2022 really is a new season. It's called the common era, the year of our Lord. It's another opportunity for us to serve the purposes of God. And transitions can happen because of negative experiences, isolation, leadership backlashes, conflict, times of crisis. In other words, there's lots of things that you and I go through <coughs> that can eventually lead to a need to make a transition, make a change. Uh, what's unique about the pandemic we're in? It's a combination of all the transition markers simultaneously. There's a lot happening right now all over the globe. And I would hope that every one of you that are here and every one of you that are watching are not complaining and criticizing and grumbling about what's going on in, in COVID, what's going on with vaccines and health and all of that stuff. Instead, you just take a step back and say, Lord, my life is in your hands and I'm going to do everything I can to be a good witness and a good testimony for you. I mean, that's really, really important. Otherwise, what starts to happen, we get dragged in to what the world is saying rather than what the king is saying. And so when Jesus is tempted, he just uses God's word and puts the onus on the devil tempting him, not on anything else. And that's the same for you and the same for me. Be careful what you're listening to in these days because there's a lot of disinformation and misinformation and things are getting very mixed up and very complicated. And so everyone is in the midst of saying, Lord, we have no idea what's going to happen next, but we know that you do. Therefore, my eyes are on you and you're going to direct my steps through all of this. And I'm going to have that safety. Even when I recognized that I had COVID, I said, Lord, I have no idea where I got it. I've been as careful as I know to be, but I have it. And so my life's in your hands. Do you remember my testimony when I got cancer the first time? And I said, I am not going to be defined by the big C called cancer. In other words, I can't control what happens in my body as I go through it, but I can put my eyes on Jesus and trust him. And then when I got a second bout of cancer, another C word, I just said, Lord, Jesus Christ is the C in my life, not these things. And so when another C came with COVID, I said again, Jesus, I am not defined by this, nor am I exempt from the things that go on in the world. But in the midst of it, you are absolutely sufficient. I'm going to be a good steward. I'm going to do what I need to do. And in the midst of that, Lord, you're going to uphold my life. And if for whatever reason the number of my days was up, there's nothing I can do to extend it one more day. Nor is there anything that the enemy can do to move it back one more day. In other words, your life and my life are in his hands. 
So transition helps us to deal with the issues that are going on in our heart and life, like the, the Life Center is going through a transition with all of this. In season of transitions, when we live into our spiritual practices, like prayer, like dependence on the Holy Spirit, like reading the Word of God and renewing our mind. We position ourselves to live from a place of power that is beyond us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we see Jesus doing in the desert through a season of transition, and this will be something that you and I will begin to do as well over the next 21 days. Jesus fasts and prays. The children of Israel grumble and complain. Both are spiritual practices. We have to make a choice which one we're going to choose. Whichever one you choose will determine how long the transition takes. I don't want to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you? When it's a very short trip, it could have been a matter of days for the children of Israel. And it took 40 years. In the moments of transition, they can be understood from two perspectives. The first one, Jesus is tempted by the enemy for 40 days. And when he's at his lowest point, that's when he's the most hungry. And that's when the enemy pours it on. See these stones around you, Jesus? Have you ever been to Israel? The whole place is stones. And what does the enemy say? Well, you can turn those to nice, beautiful, fresh, sweet-smelling bread. When you're hungry and someone says something like that, that's a temptation. And Jesus chooses from a place of temptation to draw upon supernatural strength. The Holy Spirit is giving because he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He is sustained in the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit is very, very important as you and I go through transition to be able to succeed in it. And so in this season, what does Jesus and what does God the Father choose to do? And that is to work in Jesus in such a way is that he will be the example for us that where he succeeds through all of the pressures, you and I succeed through him. When your life is rooted in him, his success becomes your success. And when you fail, you say, Lord, you didn't fail, but I did, but I can step into the power of forgiveness and cleansing, and you can heal me, and you can convict me, and you can clarify what I need to do at my heart level for this next season I'm going through. And so, as Jesus goes through the wilderness, God works in him as a human being. We know he's a divine man, but he's a human being depending on the Holy Spirit and giving us an example of put your hand on your chin, an example that by keeping our eyes on him, what he was able to do, we can do in him. It's a very important point for us. Satan desires to distract, distort, and sow disbelief about God's heart for your life. He wants you to believe another story rather than the story. And the spiritual practice we see Jesus exercising in this transition 
is fasting. This spiritual practice helps us put our focus on firsts. So here we are in the first month of 2022. We're starting to launch out into a new year. And Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God. And when you seek the kingdom, you're really seeking the king of the kingdom. And then all these things that you and I need, God will put them in place and provide for you and for me. It's precisely what Jesus has been doing over the 40 days, putting his Father's will first. And to put it simply, fasting is giving up something we love for someone we desire to be like even more. In other words, you give up something for someone. You give up something you love for someone you love more. It's very important for that to be part of why we're fasting. Fasting is not trying to twist God's arm in your favor. Fasting is just simply turning your heart towards God. With any type of fast involving food, it's important that you know your body, you know your medical condition, and you don't do anything stupid. Is that clear? So that when you start to fast, you begin to do it in such a way as you you, you transition into it step by step. And faith isn't being foolish or reckless. The body that God has given you is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it should be stewarded and cherished and cared for. In a corporate fast for all of us, we're simply going to join Jesus in his purpose for Life Center. Lord, what are you going to do in Cornwall this year? What are you going to do through us in our families this year? What are you going to do with the influence that we have in the lives of other people this year? Lord, I'm fasting to be able to get that wax out and sob out and be able to see clear and hear clear and have my heart be open to what you're going to do. A full fast for some people is drinking only liquids. I know sometimes we like juices and we like smoothies, but uh, there's a fella that used to live here in Cornwall, Louis Emar. And I met Louis the very first, and he said to me when I first got saved, he said, Barry, he said, I'm on a 40-day fast. And to me, a fast was just water. And I said, well, what are you having on your fast? And he described all the food he put in the blender, stirred it all up. So he was saying to me, if I can drink it, it's not really food. Nutrition is nutrition. So if it's a full fast and you drink liquids, wonderful. If it's a partial fast like Daniel did, you're going to give up a food item or a drink item, and you can do it from early in the morning to the afternoon. Some people, like Dr. Jason Fung, calls that intermittent fasting. What you're doing is practicing what has been practiced amongst human beings for thousands of years. We do it for health reasons. We do it for spiritual reasons. And what we're doing is we're saying we're going to link our fasting to our life of prayer. And when we do that, those two combined together are going to give us not just the strength that we need, but the counsel that God has for our heart for this journey. Here's what Jesus said about fasting. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. They just 
disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. In other words, don't put a big F on your forehead. And someone has to ask you what that is. I tell you, they've got the reward already, but when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who sees in secret. There's faith again. What he sees in secret, he rewards openly. So when you and I are fasting unto him, we're not making it obvious to other people. We're just simply saying, Lord, you've got something you're doing in 2022. I want to be a part of it. You're doing something through Life Center Cornwall. I want to be a part of it. And so he ends by saying, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so the secret place, spending time with God, is the place of prayer. Fasting, when you combine it with prayer, opens our ears to hear Jesus, opens our eyes to see Jesus, produces spiritual resiliency inside of us. We are stronger than we think we are when we're fasting and praying because God's power is at work within us because we've committed to follow him into what he's doing in our day. It helps us to die to ourselves, sets us up to step in to the supernatural. And there are many different types of prayer, but at its core, prayer is simply talking to the Father about what's on our heart and letting the Father talk to us about what's on his heart. I read something the other day. It was a real encouragement to my life. And it said, when you pray, remember, you are opening your heart to God not to tell him what he needs to do, but that you open your heart to hear him tell you what you need to do because he's God and we're not. And we don't know the whole story. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows what's necessary for our hearts and our lives. And so when we talk to God with what's on our heart and he talks to us about what's on his heart, we have communion with God. We have intimacy with God. We have the ability now to be able to appreciate everything he's trying to speak to our heart. Remember, my sheep hear my voice, and no other will they follow. So fasting and prayer opens up that avenue to us. And a few things that kill prayer, pride, becoming prayerless, or thinking you can do it on your own. Performance, where your prayer is kind of linked to some kind of performance. Look at me. Look what I'm doing. Don't want to go down that road. Prayer and fasting is simply saying, Lord, we want to position ourselves for your purpose in 2022. Matthew 6, as I finish, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. So if Joyce and I come back next Sunday and we see you coming in like this, oh, I'm fasting. We'll hit you up the side of the head and say, Matthew 6, 16, don't be gloomy. And don't disfigure your face so that fasting's obvious to people. Let it be done in the secret place of the heart.